0: Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Our subject this evening is spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some people say to themselves, I don't need anybody. Nobody needs me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I'll live apart from others, detached from others. I'll be for me all that I need to be. How proudly independent some of us can live. But if we reject that kind of living in isolation, we encounter a whole new set of problems living in community. Uh, Why is that? Well, others aren't like us, some are more gifted. I feel inadequate in their uh, in their presence, I feel like I, I don't belong, I, I wish I was that person, I, I wish I was anybody but the person God made me to be. We say to ourselves, I'm useless the way I am. So we say to ourselves, or we look around and think, I've got it together, I'm gifted, i'm involved i'm diligent serving the body of jesus i'm serious and i'm influencing people and why aren't these people willing to do all that i'm willing to do they're not pulling their weight what's wrong with them really uh that i end up with all the things that need to be done pride pride creeps in so Uh, We so often live, and I think we go back and forth between all three, we live with a false sense of our self-sufficiency, I don't really need anybody, or a false sense of our insufficiency, everybody else is more important than me, matters more than me, and I'm useless, or a false sense of our superiority. As one would put it, to dwell above with saints we love now, that will be the glory but to dwell below with saints we know that's another story well paul addresses all of us in this text in chapter 12 about living together in a community called the body of christ and using the the gifts of the holy spirit given to every one of us in service of one another for the blessing of one another So let's think about these things as we hear God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1 through to the end. Hear now the word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand That no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing helping administering, and ministering various kinds of tongues are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all possess gifts of healing do all speak with tongues do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts and i will show you a still more excellent way amen this is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And we pray you would be our teacher tonight and that you would encourage us. And help us to know our place in your body more and more and be empowered to serve you in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. The human body is amazing. We start life with 350 bones, but as you mature to adulthood, it dwindles down to to something like 206. Some of them fuse together over time. 52 bones in your feet, 26 per foot. And a foot has over 250,000 sweat glands and can produce more than a pint between them, a pint of sweat a day. As any teenage athlete can tell you. An adult has an estimated 37 trillion cells in their body. We shed one and a half pounds of dead skin cells a year, as anyone who has ever moved an old mattress can tell you. The acid in your stomach is strong enough to dissolve razor blades. That's why the lining of your stomach is replaced by the body every three to four days. We have about 60,000 miles of blood vessels in our body. And our body gives off enough heat in 30 minutes to bring a half a gallon of water to a boil. Your body is incredible. Perhaps that's why Paul picks up the image of the body. You know, your body worked in harmony to get you to roll out of bed this morning consume your food draw energy from it brush your tr- teeth get yourself dressed maybe not all in that order and get to church this evening yet how infrequently we consider our bodies until it's hungry or thirsty or sleepy or in distress and pain yet how wonderfully each part works together doing what it is made to do and the apostle paul says the church is a body made up of many parts and each of us has gifts by the Holy Spirit to do what we are made and redeemed and gifted to do for one another. So we want to think about spiritual gifts in the context of the body of Christ and let's let's um, let, let me let me show you his outline and then uh, have you look with me at how we'll walk through the text in verses 1 to 11. Paul gives an explanation in verses 12 through 30, an illustration, and in verse 31, an exhortation. I mean, it's a three-point outline of a sermon. This is the way you ought to preach, but we're not going to take it that way. But but he gives an explanation. He gives instruction, verses 1 to 11. Then he brings in this whole analogy of of the body and the, the eyes and the feet and the hands and it's, and it's an illustration of what he said in the first 11 verses. And he concludes at verse 31 with the exhortation, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Okay, so that's his outline. But let me walk through this rather large text a little bit differently by asking four questions. What are, in the first place, the limitations of spiritual gifts? What are the gifts? How did we get them? And why do we have them? Let me have you think about those four things this evening. What are, in the first place, I know this sounds a little strange, what are the limitations of the spiritual gifts? Well, this is actually where Paul begins in verses 1 to 3. He begins with a word of caution. He does not want them, he says, to be ignorant or uninformed. Because, frankly, misunderstandings about this subject have been around ever since the beginning of the church. And Corinth is confused, particularly about gifts of speech, especially gifts of uh, languages or tongues speaking. So, Paul actually begins here with this issue. When you are a Christian, he says, you have the Spirit, and the Spirit affects your speech. No one who has the Holy Spirit, he says, can say Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is God except under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he getting at? Well, notice the confession is of two things, really. One, that Jesus is alive. He says no one can say that Jesus is Lord, not that Jesus was, but that Jesus is. He's alive and that he is Lord. He is God. That's the confession. Why is he telling them that? He's helping them know who has the Spirit of God. How do you identify who has the Spirit of God? Especially in a culture like theirs where the pagan religions around them had ecstatic languages and ecstatic utterances that nobody understood, but the people who worshipped the false deities spoke in those ecstatic utterances. Paul wants to begin with this question. How do you identify who has the spirit of god well he says not by their gifts not by their gifts but by their profession of faith chapter 12 and by the fruit of faith the fruit of the spirit chapter 13 it's by the profession of faith in part I mean, it would be, after all, a strange thing for a non-Christian to say, I believe that Jesus is the one true God, God in the flesh, who died for our sins, according to the scripture, and rose from the grave on the third day, and now lives as the Lord of the universe. That's an odd thing for a non-Christian to profess. Now, granted, you can say the words... Any hypocrite can affirm they say they believe it. But it is a strange thing to profess to believe. And Paul says it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that a person truly confesses that. The problem in Corinth is that they were making the measure of true spirituality and godliness things that didn't belong there. They were saying giftedness matters more than godliness Speaking in other tongues matters more than confessing the truth. And Paul reminds them that you can have all kinds of spiritual experiences or spiritual abilities or things that people can't readily explain or things that mimic true Christian giftedness. And those are not in any way necessary proofs that you are in fact a true believer. I mean, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 clearly taught us this, didn't he, when he said... Uh, to the counterfeit ones who said to the, they said to Jesus, uh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I mean, did we not, not do miracles and things? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It wasn't real. And so this Corinthians church, which had an abundance of gifts. In fact, in chapter one, he said, you have every spiritual gift manifested among you as the people. You need to know that giftedness doesn't Mean, not in the way we're thinking of it, mean that you are saved. And that's not where you look to see if you are saved. What do you profess to believe? Do you believe it? And chapter 13, is there any fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? That will be evidentiary as well. But in the last 50 years, we have to say this, at least the last 50, there have been whole denominations of Christians who have said if you are a true Christian, you will speak in tongues. You will do miraculous things. And if you don't, you're not really a Christian. Now, others have had their own twist on it. If you believe, people will say, some have said, if you're a true Christian, you'll be a missionary. You'll teach the gospel for a living. I mean, if you really believe the goodness of the gospel, you'll go to the far ends of the world to preach and teach. And and see, what they're really getting at is this. Well, you know, if you really believe the gospel, if you really have the Holy Spirit, you will do the miraculous and the missionary. The way you know is by the spectacular, they say. And Paul says, no, on the one hand, not everybody has speaking gifts. Some people don't. They have the gift of helps, the gift of mercy. It's not their calling to be a missionary and proclaim the gospel to the far ends of the earth. Now listen, we all ought to learn to speak the truthful language of the gospel, especially at home. Especially. But but it's not the sign that you are a Christian, that you have that gift. The test is, so to speak, do you believe that as we had it exampled for us this evening... Do you believe that you are a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure without hope except in his sovereign mercy? And do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God Jesus, true man, Christ, Messiah, the God-man Messiah? And do you as the Son of God and Savior of sinners and do you receive and rest upon him for your salvation? Every Christian believes that. Every Christian has received the manifestation of the Spirit. There is no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit of God, Paul says. So don't mistake gifting for godliness. That's point one. There are limitations to this issue of gifting. What are the spiritual gifts? Well, we don't all have the same ones. That's our second question. There are lots of different ones, verses 4 to 10. He he begins in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts gifts but the same spirit there are a variety of service but the same lord there's a variety of activities but it's the same god who empowers them all in everyone there are many different kinds he says they all come from the same spirit they all are unto the same lord's service and they are all enabled to be effective by the same god who gives their effect Now, what kind of gifts are we talking about? Well, he gives you a list in verses 8 through 10, but then he gives you another list at the end of chapter 12, beginning at verse 28, and it's not identical to the one in verses 8 to 10. And he gives you another list in Romans chapter 12, another one in Ephesians 5, and Peter gives you one in 1 Peter chapter 4. Just listen to some of the language of this. Here in chapter 12, beginning at verse 8, for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge to another faith by the same spirit now clearly there he's not saying some true christians get faith and other true christians don't get faith at all because every christian has truth of saving faith he undoubtedly means some other kind of or strength of or something other than uh, just genuine believing in Jesus to be saved. But they have a gift of faith. Other, others have gifts of healing by the Spirit, miraculous gifts even. Uh, we think of Paul raising the dead boy who fell out of a window, uh, and Paul literally raised him from the dead. We think of Peter an, uh, announcing a curse upon uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 for lying to the Holy Spirit, and they dropped dead miraculous things another the gift of prophecy what is that it's prophecy is the infallible revelation of god of god's truth to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another the gift of languages that's the word for tongues the gift of languages another the ability to interpret languages in at verse 28 the list is slightly different he says god has appointed first of all apostles Uh, so that's new to this to this list. Apostles. Then, second, prophets. There was prophecy, there's an office of prophets. Third, there's teachers. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, some of the same things, then helping and administrating in various kinds of tongues. So some overlap. If you go to chapter Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, just listen to this list. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So he's added things like uh, service and exhortation and generosity and leading, and acts of mercy. In Ephesians 4, he gives another list. He speaks of apostles, prophets, evangelists. That's a new one. Shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And Peter, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, just divides all the gifts into two, two big categories. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. So the point is there are many, many and varied gifts of the spirit. Some of them have been fulfilled in their mission and are no more such as apostles and prophets who gave us the revelation of God once and for all that we now have, but which they didn't have at the time of the apostles and prophets. We'll speak more about those things and issues of tongues and languages when we get to chapter 14. But there are all these different gift lists, and for that reason, I believe that the list is not exhaustive. Even if you go through all five lists and add them all up, I don't think the Bible intends to give us an exact and exhaustive list of every single gift of the Holy Spirit and the way we function in the body. But there are a myriad of ways. And that's, that's by God's design that we are all different. You are not somebody else. You are exactly who you are. Redeemed as who you are and gifted as who you are by God's design. A church where everybody was the same and a clone of one. Well, that'd be pretty scary in the first place. It'd be unbiblical. So that we can say this, the common possession of the Holy Spirit does not lead to a common manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We hold the Spirit in common but we manifest the, the activity, gifts, empowerment of the Spirit in different ways. So there, here then is his analogy. Here's his illustration to support the things he's been saying. Verse 14, think of the body. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. And yet it's one body. How terrible it would be if we were all the exact same, he says. He speaks in the first place to people, who think um, they don't have a gift or that the one they have is not important when, at verse 15, he says, you know, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. I mean, you can almost hear Eeyore saying, oh, um, um, you know, I just don't have the gifts. Sorry, that's a terrible Eeyore. I should have. Planned to practice that but I didn't you know I'm, I'm not I'm not Tigger I'm not always happy and I'm not the life of the party and I'm not Pooh who's just as calm and sweet as he could be I'm ho ho mamma, right Paul says it doesn't make you any less a part of the body because that's who you are and, and his picture is hilarious I mean imagine he almost says imagine a, a giant eyeball rolling around and that's it that's the body. Or imagine a, a, a giant ear just kind of hopping along on one foot. That's it? No, that's absurd. And, and, and so he says, we're not all the same by God's intention. We're not all the same. And it matters that we're different. We need to be different. You know, my, uh, my college roommate my freshman year objected to Christianity, though he had been raised in it. In part, he said, because he believed that the Bible teaches, rightly it does, that we, w- we are becoming more and more like Jesus and one day in heaven we will be like Jesus. And we will. But, but we need to qualify that. We'll never be infinite like Jesus and have all the gifts that Jesus has, including all the, the attributes of deity that Jesus has in an infinite way. We will, however, be morally like Jesus. We will come to love and in heaven love purely what he loves and hate what he hates. We'll be like him in that way. But, but my friend rejected Christianity because he thought, he thought that this was just another version of the old Eastern religion view, that we're all just a drop of water, one a day, finding our way back into the ocean Of water and disappearing, losing our individuality, uh, being caught up in the in the Star Trek Borg, in in the giant one, and will no longer be us. And he was completely uh, wrong about that. That's not what the Bible teaches. You, in becoming more like Jesus, are still you. And in fact, as you grow to become like Jesus, you become, in a sense the more you that you've always intended God has intended you to be. It's glorious, friends. So you, you have a unique place in the body that nobody else can fill. All members of the church do. Well, then Paul turns to the person who's arrogant about the role he plays. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So Mr. I as one pastor put it, is very pleased with himself. He sees the beauties of the world. He guides the body. The the feet know where to go because he sees the path. The hand knows what to pick up because Mr. I sees the object needed. But Mr. I, let's see, no pun intended, you pick up an apple, bring it to your mouth, and feed your body. Oh, are you stumped by that, Mr. I? Well, of course you are. You're not a hand. You're not a mouth. You need others. That's Paul's point. We must not say, I am sufficient in me for my well-being. Just Jesus and me is enough for me to be what Jesus intends me to be. It is not true. We need one another. Then Paul turns it as metaphor to things like internal organs and also organs that we are uh, sensitive about and because of issues of modesty we cover from one another. And he speaks of their function and all these things and then he goes on to say, in fact, uh, at the end of verse 25, uh, that, that the members have the same care for one another, that there be no divisions in the body. If one member suffers, he says, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, if the head forgets about the toe and stubs the toe, the head becomes very aware very quickly that it is one body with the toe. And we don't say, we don't typically say, I don't think, my toe is in pain. We say, I'm in pain. We, um, we might say, um, uh, the, head might, the head might say it has uh, that, let's put it this way, we might have a headache if the back is in pain. And if we can get relief in the back, we get as well relief in the head. And so he says, look, we're all part of one body. And if one part suffers, we all suffer. And if one part uh, is honored, we all may rejoice. Now let me just pause there and finish up this second point, which is the longest one you'll be relieved to know. That there are all these many and varied gifts. We all have distinctive ones. We're part of one body. One of the things this means, especially if we are in fact going to knowingly suffer with those who suffer... And knowledgeably rejoice with those who are honored. It means we have got to know one another well as a body. We've got to embrace one another in relationship. We've got to form bonds of affection, love, and mutual care. And I praise the Lord as I know some of you who do who have suffered the worst to my knowledge, among us in the last few years. Some of you who have suffered the worst have tasted in the midst of that heartache the glory of what it means to be part of a body and to be loved and to be cared for and to be nourished and cherished by others in the body as, as people wept with you, as people... Where you experienced honor, people rejoiced with you. And so Paul is clearly saying here, you cannot have drive-by Christianity. You cannot show up for two or three hours a week, three or four Sundays a month, have a few conversations in the hallway, and think that that's all that there is to being a Christian or that's what it means to be part of the church. You've got to commit. You've got to commit to one another. In a small church like this, you can know most here, not all extremely well, and it doesn't mean you have to be best friends. We're diverse, we're different. Jesus holds us together, not all our common interests, likes, or dislikes. Uh, But there are thousands of Christians in Siloam that you could never know. You've got to commit somewhere. You've got to own your portion of the body of Christ and, and, and embrace relationship with one another. And so... Paul says we're part of this one body. You have gifts others are missing. And the body needs you. The church isn't healthy without you being active. That's point two. Point three. How do we get our spiritual gifts? And every Christian has at least one. Verse 11. All these, he says, are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You didn't get your giftedness because you deserved it. Not because you claimed it as your own. Not because you worked hard to cultivate it, though you can cultivate by using. You didn't get it because you cultivated it. You cultivated it because it had been given. But they were a gift to you, how? By the Spirit, and he gave to each one as he willed. The free will of God here. I am not free to be an apostle. I am not free to be a prophet. I am not free to be anything but what God has made me, redeemed me to be, given to me and called me to be. And the apostles are long since dead and not a one of you has been called or is free to be an apostle. But you are free to be what God has made you to be 2,000 years later in the body. And that ought to provoke you to contentment because you have the gifts God wants you to have. And it should help keep us from envy because others have the gifts God wants them to have. And he didn't think I needed them or else he would have given them to me. God, verse 18, arranged the members of the body, each one of them, just as he chose. And so we can say that you are, right now, exactly where you are supposed to be with the giftedness you are supposed to have. That doesn't mean you can't grow or shouldn't grow. That doesn't mean the Lord will never move you and plug you in in other places but at this moment by the will of the holy spirit you are where you are you are the person you are you have the gifts that you have dear christian friend and so are you full of envy because you're not some other person are you unhappy with who god has made you and redeemed you to be and given you as gifts can you rejoice with those who rejoice and suffer with those who suffer we can be if we delight in the spirit who is sovereign over our place in the body. We've got to find contentment in him. And so there's no reason for jealousy or pride because each of us is called to our place by God who chose it for us. There is a hole in the kingdom of God that only you fit there is a place in the body of christ with only your name on it by god's will and design and the last question is this why do we have these gifts why verse 7 to each is given the manifestation of the spirit why for the common good it's not for self it's not so that we can feel good about ourselves or feel good about ourselves serving jesus Or that we can make a name for ourselves by serving Jesus. It is so that we can be a blessing to one another in the body of Christ. And so I want to say to us, dear Redeemer, Christianity is not a spectator religion. If you know the 80-20 rule, it says that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And it ought not be that way in the body of Christ. And it truly isn't that way if we remember that not all the work is done by people with upfront speaking gifts, but there's a lot of work being done in quiet ways by people loving one another in ways we would never know. Because the quiet ones are faithful to God, as even we hope those who speak are. But if you don't involve yourself in the body, you leave the body of Christ on crutches or something worse. And so let's conclude. None of this, dear friends, is meant to be a burden. (laughs) In fact, think how freeing this is, actually. Those with so-called what the world thinks and foolish Christians think are lesser gifts need not be burdened with the guilt that we don't do more spectacular work for Jesus. I mean, after all, God is pleased with our obedience not how our gift compares to another's. And those with more visible gifts can take heart. You are not given your gifts based on your spiritual performance level. That is too heavy a burden to bear to believe that God has given you a gift and lets you keep it so long as you prove to be worthy, more worthy than others who don't have that gift. It is a relief to know that it is a gracious gift you did not deserve you do not merit and as you exercise it in faithfulness god does say well done good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master this is how grace works friends it removes the burden of performance to win and keep god's favor and it takes away therefore the cause of pride and jealousy And this is how the gospel works. Christ bore the burden of our salvation. The Holy Spirit bears the burden of applying to Christ's people. Gifts that we might be fruitful in his service. And we all get them. Christ wins them for us. Just as he wins the favor of God for us to be useful to God just as the Holy Spirit gives us all we need to do just the right job so that we can achieve the purpose for which we were redeemed, to build up the body in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness. We bless you for our gifts. For those who don't know what theirs are, uh, help them to learn. For all of us who uh, fail in the use of, Forgive us, change us, and I pray that you would stir up within us uh, a heart to be a blessing to one another for Christ's sake. For we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand.